Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. My name is Jared Van Hees. I have my buddy Jesse on the other line. You there, Jess? Hey, what's going on, Jared? How you doing? Not bad, co-host. Not bad. It's uh, beautiful weather. At least we're getting some warm weather now, so it's amazing what that does for the soul. Yeah, i tell you about it. I uh, actually got a little burnt over the weekend on my arms. uh, It's been nice to be outside and uh, wear a t-shirt. Aren't you supposed to be, like, working on things at your house and not sunbathing? I've been trying, man. Work's been keeping me busy. I've had a lot of calls with China, which is fun. Got to stay up late and uh, getting the house organized and packed. But got to have a little fun. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that's cool. I got a little bit of a sunburn on my shoulders as well. I was wearing a a cutoff working outside and got a little sun myself, so happy about that. Good, good. Yeah, it's a fun time of year. Looks like you already got a turkey down, which I'm a little jealous. Yeah, man. I uh, I got an opening morning. I ended up with a nice time. Um, I got right into where they were roosting. I was pretty close, almost too close. And uh, they came out towards the field just like uh, the landowner had been telling me. And I just happened to set up in the right spot. They kind of ignored my decoys, actually. Um, They liked the real thing better. They were chasing the hens out of the woods and made a 40-yard shot. And uh, the rest rest is history. I actually, I have the, the beard and the spurs 
which I, I just have the legs right now, and the fan in the garage on a table. And literally 14 minutes ago, I go out there, the beard's missing, both legs are missing, and my dogs are laying in the driveway chewing on all three. <laughs> uh, oh, that's, that yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, I just fed the things dinner, too, so I don't know what their problem is. They're being a-holes, but I, the, I still can't find a leg. So there's a leg and a spur missing, and I have about, I don't know, probably 80% of the beard back. You know how thick that, that beard was? Well, now it's down to more of a normal-looking beard from what I could find. It's just in pieces, man. But the well, your dog's going to have fun uh, shitting out that spur. <laughs> well, she deserves it at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I looked everywhere. She must have ate it. And as soon as I came out, she got all guilty and started cowering down like she did something wrong. And I'm like, Dixie, come on. So, yeah, I shot a beautiful bird. Um, I'm going to give half the, the meat to the landowner. And uh, I have a nice fan to mount. And somewhat of a beard, so not complaining. Not complaining. It's been a good week so far. So when are you gonna make it out? Uh, I think I'm gonna go out later in May. Just work's been uh, kicking my butt lately, which is a good thing. So gotta make that money. Um, but yeah, probably gonna get do the second half of the season here in Michigan. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll make it out there. Um, it's hard getting out there now, man. You got to get up early, like four four a.m. <laughs> oh yeah, I was up about five o'clock, so had it done yeah. by six thirty. Yeah, that, that's a tough part about turkey season. You got to be an early riser. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, who yeah. do we got as a guest today? We have a guy named Al. Um, I believe he's a younger guy, about our age. I've never met him. I've talked to him online a bunch. Um, how I first saw him was on the QDMA forums, kind of where I met Brian, our uh, episode two guest. And you just, you know, you go through these forums with these guys and they show you all the things they're doing and it just really, this, this guy really knows what he's talking about in terms of... Uh, what he's accomplished so far. So I figured he'd be a good guy to, to pick his brain. And he's from southern Ohio, at least where his property is, so it's a little bit different than what we're used to. We've uh, we've hunted down there, but um, in terms of habitat work, it'd be nice to hear, you know, that type of perspective from somewhere else. Yeah, it's a totally different uh, beast down there. Yep. So, and he's had pretty good, pretty good success. So I'm excited to get him on the line and... Uh, and uh, hopefully, we can shed some light on some of our questions. Perfect, man. Let's get them on the line, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking. All right, stand by. All right, Al, can you hear me? I'm here. Jesse? Hey, boys. All right, we are ready to roll. Al, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, my last name is pronounced Tometsko. All right, I'm so glad it's you kind did of that a mouth, for me. Yeah, yeah, it's a mouthful. I, <laughs> I could say out of uh, nine out of ten people mispronounce it. Like when I check into hotels and stuff, they're like, "Mister," I'm like, "Just call me Albert." Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. Don't easier. ask me how to spell it. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I just spell it for people. I don't even have them try anymore. Well, I wanted to thank you for coming on, Al. I know you're a busy guy, um, but you made some time for us tonight. I really appreciate that. I wanted to oh, absolutely dive right in. Um, let's hear a little bit about you. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? And then maybe some of the story about maybe how you got into habitat work, um, hunting, and um, maybe some details about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, I grew up in northern Ohio, um, a smaller town outside of Cleveland, uh, about 30, 30, 35 minutes outside of Cleveland, um, Ohio. And, you know, growing up, it was a pretty, pretty small town, but was kind of a growing uh, suburb. But, like, it wasn't uncommon. We always used to joke, you know, it'd be like the only town in America you'd see a Mercedes-Benz following a tractor <laughs> because it was just like this this small town that was getting taken over by suburbia. So um, it was kind of a nice mix growing up because, our, of course, we had great athletic fields and things like that as, as I grew up. But you also still had this, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people who liked to hunt and fish and, and grew up, one of my best buddies who's my wedding, uh, grew up doing a lot of farming, um, you know, fairly large scale, several hundred acres with a couple of the guys in the area who farm. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from him just asking questions because it always interested me. Um, so that's kind of where I grew up. I mean, we have quite a bit of flatland hunting within, uh, you know, if you have permission, within 15 to 30 minutes uh, drive. Okay. So I got a few, I got a few spots that I uh, I can hunt pretty close to where I grew up. I now live about 15 more minutes south uh, of where I grew up, and uh, it's a similar situation. I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to live on about uh, seven acres, so it's a, I'm allowed to bow hunt here and, and things like that. My neighbors have nine acres. Um, next neighbor down has 12 or, or so. So um, do do have permission to, to bow hunt, um, <clears throat> obviously, behind my own house, and then next door they're, they're pretty – um, lenient if they're like, yeah, we don't really care. So, uh, could, could potentially go there as well. Um, but don't spend a whole lot of time, um, hunting behind the house, more so just kind of watching deer and, and observing them. Um, and then of course we have our property in, uh, in, uh, southeastern Ohio. Uh, the family bought that about 10 years ago. Um, and that was really something that had been a goal for, for our family for a long time. Um, I grew up, like I mentioned, you know, where I grew up, the hunting opportunities were starting to get more and more limited. Uh, my grandfather, uh, funny story, is he actually, the day I was born was October 10th, and the story goes that my grandmother called him the day I was born and said, you got a grandson. Well, he happened to be moose hunting in Canada with my uncle. <laughs> he said, well, I just, he said, I just got a moose. So he actually shot a moose the day I was born in Canada. And oh, no. I, yeah, I always was like, I guess I was just born to hunt. And, um, I mean, it, it's just always been that way when I was little. Um, my parents, who are not hunters, they enjoy the outdoors. My dad grew up around it because his brother always hunted and sort of my uh, grandpa. But my dad didn't, but uh, they always understood it. They kind of were always around it. And they're like, there was no kid in the world who was five years old that he'd fall asleep to hunting shows. <laughs> like he just, we'd put on hunting shows and he'd, he'd go to sleep. 
you know, and uh, Saturday morning I didn't watch cartoons. I'd watch ESPN and Fox Sports hunting shows. It's like I all I ever those. wanted to watch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they were old school, you know. And uh, that's just kind of where it started. I mean, my grandpa hunted uh, PA. He's a, from western Pennsylvania. Um, so is my dad, actually. Probably not that far, honestly, from where Brian's at. Uh, a little bit north, uh, east of where Brian's from. But okay. uh, not I mean, too awful far from that general area. And, uh, you know, hunting was really big in that in those communities. My grandfather was a coal miner, so, you know, small coal mining towns. It was like if you weren't working uh, in the mines, a lot of guys were, were deer hunting when deer season came in. So really a strong uh, way of life, especially in PA. I mean, it just has a long, rich history of that. So that was kind of ingrained in me since I was little, um, but we never really had a place to call our own. We had a real good spot to hunt. Um, it was about 200 acres down in uh, Knox in Holmes County, Ohio, which is, like, central, like, Rolling Hills, Ohio. It's about um, an hour and a half north of Columbus, I'd say. Okay. And I just remember going down there, and I was young. I don't know. I was 10, 11, something like that. I'd be going down with my uncle for muzzleloader season or uh, crossbow season or uh, whatever, you know, season it was. And in Ohio, I don't think it's changed. I use a... Matthews now, but back then when I was a kid, you know, you'd take me with a crossbow and sit me in a blind. I didn't shoot anything, but I held it and thought it was cool. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it got you into it, yep. And, yeah, I loved it, but it was just kind of like the one guy who had owned the farm, he started to get older and started to say, well, wait, I don't know if your nephew's allowed to come here all the time, only can bring him at certain, you know, if it's youth season or whatever it was, you know, it started to kind of be like uh, really strict about kind of when you could go and, and things like that. And uh, I, at a young age, I remember telling my uh, my grandma, I go, one day I'm going to own land. And she used to get a kick out of it because she was like, you know, he's like 12 years old. What does he know about owning <laughs> land, you know? But I just had such a passion because I hated being told no or um, losing spots to hunt, you know, and, and it happened quite a bit uh, around us. Uh, my other uncle and I, he didn't grow up really hunting too awful much um, when he was younger, but he started to get into it when he was a little bit older. I think his dad took him a few times. And I'll be honest, he, he kind of self-taught himself a lot. Um, and because of that, he kind of brought me along, and I kind of learned with him and learned from him on a lot of things. So we started hunting. Um, are you familiar with Salt Fork State Park in Ohio? No, i uh, not. So no, I haven't Cambridge, heard of it um, 77 and 70 ish area is about where Cambridge, Ohio is. Okay. Um, so you're north of Marietta, so you're like north of Parkersburg, but, uh, there's a state park there. It's, I don't know, it's pretty well known. I mean, it's got a huge golf course, a lodge and a big lodge there. And then, um, there's certain areas that you're not allowed to hunt. But I think hunting acres is it's something ridiculous. It's like 15,000 acres. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it's a nice sized park, but of course it's, um, you're an hour and a half from Akron. You're maybe two hours from Cleveland. So you're pretty close to a lot of, um, fairly sizable cities. So it gets pretty good pressure, especially during gun season. Um, uh, but guys kill deer there every year. And my uncle started taking me um, he actually had some family who lived right in Cambridge, and we'd stayed at their house, and we'd hunt public uh, ground. And 
anybody who's ever hunted public ground knows the ups and downs of that. Um, after a few years of that, it, it made me even more like, I'm like, I got to buy some ground here. You know, so at that time I was 14, so I was still a ways away from, from buying ground. But uh, it did kind of light a fire up under my family. I mean, they could see where after the last 10 or 15 years, the investment opportunity of owning property, I mean, you know, my dad always is like, oh, man, if I'd have bought land 10 years ago, he's like, if I'd have bought land every time I said that, I'd have been a millionaire, yeah. you know, because yeah. it just continually goes up um, or knock on wood, it has uh, in, in a lot of situations. So it got to the point where we all just the whole family said, you know what, this isn't making a lot of sense. Um, I was fortunate my my parents and uh, stuff really were, were interested in it for um, you know, just a kind of a getaway place, uh, and then they don't hunt, but they they very supportive of, of me and my my cousin's kind of my right hand man now, and uh, he was initially from Maryland, but had an opportunity to move up to uh, to Ohio for a great job, and um, he always hunted with me like once a year when he would come in from Maryland, but that's the only opportunity he really had. Uh, he kill, has killed two bucks back to back years now that he's. He's been up here and putting in the time with uh, with me. So we just, I mean, we just love it. We just spend a whole ton of time, and we bought land. Like I said, it's been, I think it was, I think it's been nine years now since uh, since we bought the first first chunk of ground and uh, a little cabin on there and a little outbuilding uh, that came with the place. And it's just, it's been been fantastic. Um, my my job is one of the things you hit on is I've been in sales. Um, honestly, I've, I've Kind of jumped around. I started in inside sales um, as a as right out of school, working down in Athens County, Ohio. I know I don't know why I ever moved. I should have stayed there. Beautiful for deer hunting, but uh, yeah, oh, it is. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it's the, uh, oh, it's just it's beautiful, and I I actually have spots there I could hunt now. I just don't have the time, you know. I mean, it's just trying to find the time, but uh, really, really great area for for whitetail. Um, so I actually worked there. Uh, for about a year, and then they had gave me an opportunity to to move to Texas, and I moved there for two years and lived oh, wow. in downtown Dallas, Texas. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I had an opportunity to to move there for a couple of years and did. And I was actually so stir crazy living in downtown Dallas. I used to drive, I believe it was to Denison, Texas, uh, which was like an hour outside of Dallas, like forty two miles. Uh, and I would drive like Friday afternoons. I finish up my sales calls and notes in the CRM systems and all that stuff for the sales guys who might be listening. I'm like, oh, I hate those. And I get in the <laughs> oh, truck. I hate, I hate CRM. my CRM. We can never mention <laughs> CRM on a podcast again. <laughs> and uh, I would I would grab my bow and I'd drive out to the range. They had a sweet 3D archery range out there. And I'd just be by myself and I'd just shoot for hours because I would just get so stir-crazy. So uh, I had an opportunity to move home to Ohio, uh after a couple of years in, in Texas, and I loved a lot of things about Texas, a great state, but uh, moved down back and uh, have continued in, in sales and in a few different areas, but uh, I've been at my current job now for a few years, so I'm liking it a lot. What are you, what are you selling now? Uh, right now, it's actually a real niche uh, niche product. We, we are a manufacturer in central Ohio, actually, as well. We're located, and we make uh, chemical-resistant gloves for the United States military. Uh, awesome. They're, they're also for like strong solvent applications, like things like uh, acetones or MEK stripping agents. And then we play a little bit into uh, electrical glove market. So 
uh, rubber insulating gloves to prevent um, electrical shock for linemen and things like things like that. I probably used to probably call on me when I worked at Gray Bar back in the day. Mm. Yeah, we would have. I mean, we're kind of just starting to get into that marketplace, but uh, that's exactly the type of uh, industry we would call on. So, yeah, small world. Very good. Well, enough about work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's all I talk about these days. Uh, here how, many acres, how many acres are you guys sitting on in Ohio? So, yeah, we uh, we started off uh, the first purchase was 60 acres um, in the, the wow. cabin and the outbuilding. Um, we actually have been very fortunate. We just bought an additional um, chunk of ground. So we actually are uh, just north of 230 acres we own now in uh, southeast nice. Ohio. Wow, cool. Yeah, so that was um, – that just opened our world up to a lot of things that I think – small acreage landowners um, probably can relate to, you know, because I consider, I mean, honestly, even 230 acres, depending who you're talking to, a lot of biologists would say, like, oh, that's still a small chunk of ground. Yeah, to they me, would. It seems like a lot. But, uh, but you know, to, to me, anything under under probably 70 acres is, is a smaller chunk. Um, I think once you get over, you know, 70 or 80 or 90, 100, um, you know, 150, those type of lands that you hear, it's a little bit more land. You, you might be able to plant, a, you know, a significant um, number of acres and in, in food plots or hinge cuts or whatever you want to do there. But uh, when you're talking less than 70 acres, I mean, you really have to be smart with uh, the pressure. Um, and I think a lot of things that you deal with is you just have these days where you, you sit in the stand and it's like deer after deer after deer after deer. And you're like, man, this is the honey hole, you know. And you might hunt another three, four times, and you go, where in the heck are the deer at? You know, at least that's happened to us a lot. And, and buying the, the additional land, it kind of opened up our eyes to some of the observations that that uh, I was able to make and kind of put those pieces of the puzzle together going, okay, this makes sense. That's where the deer are, you know. And I think that's something a lot of folks could probably relate to. Yeah, that sounds yeah, really, no. really nice. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Depending if you have 10 acres or 200, the big thing is how it lays out to how it feels hunting. You know, I've been on 20-acre parcels that feel like 100, but I've also been on a 100-acre parcel that feels like 10 acres. So it's, yeah, it definitely can be different. Um, but, like, how would you describe your land, though, as far as crops to woods? You know, is there any ponds? Is it hilly? Is it flat? Give us kind of like a quick overview yeah, absolutely. So, um, first off, it's, it's a very rural area, um, very, very rural. We got basically one neighbor um, to the south that um, that owns about 30 acres, and then one more below him who owns 100 and some, uh, and then basically one neighbor behind us um, for he, their, their family owns several hundred acres. Um, and then around our farms, our, our farm, there's about 360 acres owned by uh, eh, 360 to 400-some acres owned by a timber company that's actually leased every year by some guys. Uh, it's bounced around, but, a, but by a group of guys um, lease that ground up every year. And then we do have some Amish as well 
um, in the area, but it's probably two a eh, mile and a half as the crow flies at least to to the nearest Amish farms um, around around us. Now the terrain, I mean, it's in southeastern Ohio, so you're you're in the foothills of, uh, of you know the Appalachian Mountains, so you definitely have a rugged terrain. Um, as far as crops, you you don't have much. You know the the soil in southeastern Ohio compared to like Holmes or Knox or um, you know some of the more central or western counties even where you have kind of those uh, more like Iowa soils you know real rich dark soil you're not going to have that you know in the foothills of the mountains um, so the it's it's not traditionally cropland I mean most of the time you'll see corn here and there don't get me wrong but uh, I probably got more corn within um, 15 miles of my house and 50 miles of, of the, the property in southern Ohio. So um, primarily what you do have is large cattle pastures and large yeah. blocks of timber. You know, so you're talking, I mean, I, I would say when we initially bought our place, you're driving up a road for five miles, and it's just timber on both sides. Um, now, of course, as time goes you have some time where that timber is clear cut or select cut or something along those lines but uh traditionally i mean it's just that part of the the state is very timber heavy um yep. in in uh, other than guys doing food plots or or uh, maybe some amish who have a pumpkin patch but it's not nothing right. that is going to put on the mass to deer that you would have in like like in iowa where you got you know fifteen thousand acres of soybeans Right, so definitely um, a lot of acorns are being ate uh, <laughs> on our property uh, compared to some other parts of the state. Um, as far as ponds, I, I do want to mention, so we do have several creeks. Um, a couple of neighbors have some large hay fields. I mean, I don't know how many acres they are, but I mean, you wouldn't, I don't, I don't think you'd want to take a rifle shot from one side to the other. I know some guys probably would, but uh, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're really, uh, they're really large fields and they have a big pond in the one, um, bottom of the one field that I'm sure the deer can access. But we actually, when we b- initially bought the, the ground, um, which I'm going to be at my property, uh, Friday all weekend really doing kind of the same thing on the new, new ground is, uh, I brought in a dozer, and my one good buddy, um, some people might know know him, his name's Bill. Uh, he's ran wildlife um, consulting services for a long time out of southeast, out of Athens, actually, area. Uh, Bill Penniston, he's a wildlife biologist, really, really good buddy of mine. Um, he's good friends with, like, Eric Long. I know Brian uh, spoke oh, yeah. about him on his, when he was on. Um, Bill and Eric go way back. Bill's a little bit older, but Bill and I have been buddies for a long time, uh, when we first bought the property, actually, um, and, and Bill, honestly, i got to give him a little bit of a shout-out. Probably one of the best damn deer hunters I ever met. And uh, the guy has just taught me a ton about hunting the deer, but also about um, just habitat and, and how to implement it and how to how to really, um, you know, believe in what you're doing and not just out there just doing things. And uh, when, he, when I brought him in, uh, we brought in a dozer and his best buddy, uh, his name's Henry. He's a really good operator, and uh, he kind of ran the dozer, and, and we ran chainsaws and cleared some things out for some food plots. But also, we put in a couple little, uh, like where there was a natural creek, we put in uh, some natural watering holes. 
So that worked out really, really cool. Um, and basically just lowering the dozier blade. And again, in, in the type of soil that you have in a lot of areas of southeastern Ohio, it's, it's kind of like a thick clay, you know, um, in the yeah. mountains. So it, it packs really well. So he was able to lower that dozer blade and just kind of make like a little berm um, in, in one or two different spots and um, enough to keep the water flowing, you know, that it will over, go over that berm if need be. Um, and we actually put a little drainage pipe there too so it can get out if it needs to, but also enough that it will sit there and hold a little bit. And uh, oh, that has idea. definitely, yeah, it's definitely pulled in deer. I mean, I wouldn't say... You know, I'm hunting over it all the time, but, I mean, there's deer tracks all over them. Um, there's definitely deer coming up and, and drinking there. They're kind of in a secluded area, you know, off the, the backside of a ridge where just the natural water is going to come off that ridge, you know, before the ridge would be bone dry. But down on the bottom there, it's going to be damp, you know, as you can imagine. So um, just kind of a natural place for water to gather, and uh, it's worked really well. So not quite a pond, but kind of a natural spring-fed uh spring-fed little little pond, if you will, that uh, has worked well for us. No, those, you know, we, we did that up in uh, northern Michigan at my buddy Mark Arrowwood's place. Um, on some power lines, there was just kind of some natural reeds that would grow, so we kind of knew it was a wetland, and I humped, jumped in the skid steer and kind of made some burns and came back a week later, and it was full of water, and there was just deer tracks everywhere. I mean, it was amazing because there was no other bodies of water around. So just to have that little water on your property makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. Like I said, I mean, we've we've noticed it as well. We probably haven't taken advantage of hunting over it as much as we should have. Um, but when your time is limited, you know, it's like, oh, what stand do I want to hunt? Sometimes it's flipping a coin, right? I mean, it's tough to decide. Um, but we, we definitely have it because our main goal is to keep the deer around and keep them comfortable. Well, and it gets hot down there. I mean, we've been down there, me and Jared, hunting in Ohio, and it's, man, we've been sitting in the tree in 80 degrees, and it's, that water probably would come in handy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you'll you'll notice, too, on days like that, a lot of times it seems like the, the deer are eating the, you know, green vegetation even more, um, even more so than, than typical, like grain soybean fields or something like that. It's, like, when it's real warm, it seems like they're hitting them even harder, um, and I think because they get so much of their water out of those green plants, um, yep. but they're, they're still they still like to take advantage of uh, drinking from a, from a water hole you know when they can, and the tracks are, are proof of it. What I haven't done is hung a camera over one, which I probably should. Um, I just like I, I'm always running cameras in other spots. Yeah, never can have enough cameras. <laughs> no. Well, Al, that's a great picture. Um, I can see your property in my mind so far now i want to get into uh like like your neighborhood and how you make your management choices um what your neighbors are doing etc but i have one other question quick on your property what type of deer have you guys been harvesting over the last nine years or so in terms of uh quantity and size well size is pretty average um you know, kind of probably your your typical 120s to one high 130s, uh, three and a half year old. Um, we've harvested three bucks in nine years. Wow! 
so lower than I would have expected. Yeah, um, and I mean that's kind of intentional, right? So when we yeah. had when we had sixty acres, I mean we basically would say, all right, you know, a couple guys hunting. Typically, two of us hunting at one time was, was the most. Um, and if a guy was to shoot a buck, we pretty much were saying, you know what, that's it for for the farm for this year. You know, we're we're going to hunt other areas or, or public ground or whatnot. We're, we're not going to over harvest. Um, for sake of stroking our own ego, right? So uh, we simply would say, okay, that's it. You know, we were blessed to harvest a good deer. And my cousin and I, I mean, we, we share a lot of the meats uh, that, you know, from from the deer we harvest and stuff. We just kind of keep it all in one freezer. Uh, and, and I take some and he takes some. And so it's never an issue that way. Um, and that's kind of the goals that we set. Um, now, with that being said, one of the bucks we harvested, uh, my uncle shot. And it was one of those kind of, he it was last light and and he had been seeing uh he i should say we had been seeing a real nice real nice buck entering a food plot uh pretty consistently and he shot this buck and um i had actually just left and i was coming back like the next day or something i don't remember exactly but he called me and man i shot that big 10 point you know and i'm thinking oh man that, that 10 point that i i knew that deer you know and uh I'm thinking that's like 150 inch deer. Well, come to find out, you know, it, I think nerves got the best of them. So that was kind of a whoopsie. That was a much smaller, smaller <laughs> deer than we would have we would have liked to harvest. Oh, that never and, happens. Yeah, yeah, I've never heard that story before, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, a joke I made. He goes, "Oh man, he, I, he felt bad." You know, oh man, I'm sorry. And um, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I, I just said, I'm like, well, it's as big as he's ever going to get, you know. <laughs> so that that's kind of the the fact. I, I think what? How many did I say? Three bucks in nine years? Yeah. Yeah, and it might be four. It might be four, but not. I mean, really, really limited. Um, the number of bucks that we've we've harvested, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, this number is probably going to shock you even more. I think we've only harvested. Four does in nine years. Wow! So you guys are just not not seeing the amount of deer that um uh, maybe maybe we are up here in Michigan or or something like that. Or do you think uh, or or what else is going on? Well, I'll be honest. So um, it was. It's been. I like to analyze things before I do anything. You know, before I pour cereal in the morning, I like. To, read the nutrition facts on it. You know, like I really <laughs> like to make sure I know what I'm getting into. So uh, unlike, you know, just going in and going, well, you know, traditionally, southeastern Ohio was known for a lot of deer. Zone C, which was southeastern Ohio's zone for many years, was a six-deer um, bag limit. Now, wow. it's always been a one-buck one state. Right. But you could you could own 15 acres, say, you know, like yourself, Jared, and, and you could say, man, we got a ton of deer around here. And you could shoot your buck, and then you could shoot five does, and you could bring me and all your buddies to shoot five does. You know what I mean? And, oh, and yeah. all of a sudden, and you do that year after year after year after year, which uh, undoubtedly happened in many cases, um, to the point where, where I do think the deer herd got um, reduced. I think it also got exaggerated to the extent that it got reduced. I do think that, you know, people kind of, they panic 
like, oh my gosh, there's no deer left. Like, hold on. You know, we have had some tough spells in Ohio. We had some EHD outbreaks um, and stuff. But because of all of these different things and you're reading a lot of stuff, I kind of pumped the brakes. Like, first off, we have other places we can hunt that I know there's a lot of deer at. We don't need to start all just shoot a deer to say, okay, we shot a deer. That's a good point. Um, yep. You know, and, and then uh, the, the second thing is, is I'm like, let's just really try to get our bearings as to, you know, what the heck is going on here. Well, you know, first year we owned the place, we uh, we didn't have any food plots. I think we put them in the second or third year, and um, then the observations kind of restarted, right? Now you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be pulling deer in from all over the place. Well, you kind of learn that quickly isn't necessarily the case because you planted a half acre of clover. Right. You know, <laughs> you're not going to necessarily I be wish, pulling deer but... in from three miles. Right, you know, yeah. I was very, very upset when I came to that realization. Um you know, but but basically, we just were observing, and, and we did start to see better numbers, you know. Um, now, what are better numbers? Well, in southeastern Ohio and, and that part of the, the, the state and that part of the country, quite honestly, you know, I don't necessarily think you're going to see um, 10 to 15 to 20 does or, or just deer in general at a time. Whereas, you know, in flatland where you can pull up on a soybean field and glass for four or 500 yards, well, it's easy to see 20, 30 deer, you know, in, in, in a lot of areas of, of the state or of the country, quite honestly. So it's, it was different to try to get a read on an area where, you know, one, it's, you guys have hunted, hunted, you know, southeastern Ohio. I know, uh, what was it, Pike County area or Jackson or something like that? Both, you guys were yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, like that area, uh, obviously there's a little bit more, quite a bit more ag in the Chillicothe and, and uh, Waverly and, and Piketon areas than where we're at. But at the same time, I mean, you're hunting in pretty big woods in a lot of situations, and you see a deer go by at 20, 30 yards, or um, they come in, they eat, they, take, they go away. You don't just have where these huge ag fields where you can just see. So because of all that, it was really... Um, a choice on our part to let's let the deer, you know, numbers get a little bit higher. We'll harvest one here and there, um, but let's just let these deer get a little bit higher before, you know, we start to say, okay, we really have an issue. Um, you know, we also looked at things like uh, regeneration of forest. You know, walking through, you know, our forest, and, and quite honestly, in these bottoms, I got young young oaks that are, above waist high and they're not getting nipped so i'm thinking well yeah i mean your your regen is actually fantastic you know whereas uh there's areas in ag country you drive down a road and it looks like somebody trimmed the trees everywhere where a deer could reach right it actually looks like the trees don't start or the branches don't start excuse me till about seven foot high and it's like, well, how could that be? Well, it's because every time a branch tried to start, a deer was like, oh, woody browse, and they ate that, right? So when I started to notice these things, I, I still wasn't convinced that there wasn't a lot of deer around. I just didn't feel like I had enough information to decide to harvest, you know, an animal and take something's life um, on a property that, quite frankly, I mean, we're invested in. We got money, time, um, sweat invested in. I don't want to hurt my chances to see deer. I love seeing deer. 
you know, so I decided let's take a few years and just really limit our harvest on those and, um, and, and see what we can't produce. And I think the dividends are, are, are starting to pay off now. I mean, it's really, I feel very confident this year, um, gave the green light. My cousin shot a doe second weekend of a season. Um, I passed six that morning that he shot one just because I'm like, oh, gosh, it's like going to be 80 degrees today. I don't feel like messing with two deer, you know. But uh, it's really – it's been a massive change for us in the, in the numbers of deer um, and, the, and the number of deer that we're actually seeing, you know, not just on trail cameras but just seeing, you know, from the stand. Um, and, and it's made us, you know, be able to set some harvest goals. Well, and, you know, it, it's funny you bring that up because, you know – the, I, I probably have, I don't know, what do you say, Jared? We probably have over a dozen sits in Ohio, if not more. Well, we went down there for three years in a row for about a, a week or a long weekend each time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, at least. And I would say, you know, so, so, so let's say a dozen sits in the tree stand. I mean, I bet totally I saw maybe a dozen deer. Yeah. But the quality of deer I saw were tenfold. I mean, I, I saw a couple 150-inch class bucks, some does, but every deer, I, every buck I saw was a nice, mature whitetail. So it, it wasn't like Michigan where I could sit in the stand and see 30 deer a night, and but there'd be a lot of four-point spikes, scrubs. It, it, so it was, you're right, it, I think the deer density is different down there in the hills. Cause, and I don't think you're seeing a lot of the deer because you physically can't see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but do you think? Do you think? Cause I know where we were hunting in Ohio, there was a big Amish population. Now, do you think? I'm not dogging the Amish or anything, but do you think that has any play in the the deer herd? Because I know, you know, come rifle season, they're out there and they're orange and they're brown is down, taking all the deer they can. It's a good. I, I, it's a good question. I, I don't know if I could give you the answer because, just like any group, you know, the Amish get a bad, bad rep. I, my dad and I went to an auction um, around our place. I don't know. It was probably about a year, year and a half ago. Maybe it's been two years now because it was before we bought the additional land. But essentially, what happened is. Um, <laughs> We went, we went in this this, this auction, and, and the guys, I'm talking to some of them, and they're, oh, we hunt over here. I'm like, oh, that's not too far. How's the deer numbers, you know? Well, them darn Amish, you know, they kill them all. Well, then I'm talking to the one neighbor who lets a lot of the guys hunt, and he's like, well, they killed 15 this year. And I'm like, man, yeah. we're over here. We're killing one deer off of, you know, one or two off of 230 acres. Um, and we might shoot a few more one year and a few less the next. And these guys are dogging the Amish, and then I find out that they're the same group who killed 15 deer this year. So, (laughs) you know, I I think it's kind of like, well, you know, what you want to do deer drives, but you don't want the Amish to. So I I think it's just a matter of um, what do guys want to, you know, want to do. And and quite honestly, like, if you like the deer drive, I mean, we don't. Um, there's no way in heck I'm risking pushing a four and a half year old deer off of my property. But, uh, if you want a deer drive, you know, that's, that's fine. That's, that's your right to do it. It's legal in the state of Ohio. Um, and it's an effective way to kill deer. 
And I think that's why the Amish get a bad rep because they're they're effective killers, you know. So it yeah, probably does are. have an effect on uh, on that. But there's a lot of as they call us Englishmen, right, uh, who kill a heck of a lot of deer that way as well, and are effective also. So I think it's it's overall. Um, you could probably do a podcast just on that, honestly. Well, yeah, no, I was just curious. Have cause... to do that. That's a good idea. <laughs> Well, Jesse, yeah, I was just curious. I've heard a lot of stories from guys down there, and you know, I, I personally know some Amish guys here in Michigan, so I was just curious on your thoughts of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I uh, I grew up hunting in West Michigan, this this town called Fremont. Uh, my buddy Reuben Burton's family farm, and there was an Amish um, property that butted up to the back of us. I think they had they had a lot more acreage than we did. We were on like 40, and they were around a couple hundred. But come rifle season, uh, one time we walked back to the property line and looked in their hayfield. They had a uh, like a horse cart, like their version of a flatbed truck type thing, like a flatbed cart they were pulling around. That thing was stacked six foot high with deer. I mean... Never seen, wow. never seen anything like it, and I know not all Amish do that, and I'm not dogging the Amish as, as well, but what I saw was unbelievable, and I know they, uh, we found out later, apparently they, they had a harvest like that every few years, it wasn't every year, and they would um, get the whole family involved, and they would can all of the venison for, you know, for the whole family for like three or four years, so kind of interesting. Um, wow, that's cool though. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, there were it sounded like a like a war back there, but uh, it was it was pretty interesting. Um, now we're gonna have PETA and anti Amish people after us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that'll happen. We'll have to we'll have to do an Amish podcast. That sounds like a good idea. Um, yeah, we'll call our buddy Amish Andy up from Claire. Exactly. Um, back to the information here, Al. I think you just gave us a pretty good idea on what's going on in your property, um, your management choices. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that? I mean, you guys are, I think it was very well said, the way you're selecting to kind of watch and see what happens instead of going in there guns blazing. Um, I do like that approach. Yeah, no, I mean, really, I think is is the biggest thing that I would add to that. And um, I know we've covered a lot already, and we have other things we want to cover, too, and um, I want to keep it moving, but what I did want to say is, you know, it's just adapt as you go. You know, my cousin hadn't shot a buck. He shot a pretty, pretty decent buck um, last year, and then this year he shot um, a, a pretty nice buck. The one I sent to you guys, I think I sent that picture over to um, to you both. That and, was a nice um, buck, yeah. You know, real nice deer, and we had that deer on camera for for a while, and I'll get into that probably later, but. Um, now, you know, him and I, are, we talk every day about, you know, what's going on and texting back and forth, what's the plan next. And, and you know, we both already said, like, man, you know, next year and from here on out, if we're going to pull the trigger, uh, whether it be a bow or a gun on, on a whitetail, it's really going to have to be, you know, a, a special deer. It's going to have to be a four-year-old or or, you know, just a really, really nice rack deer. I mean, I like to try to stay out manage for age, but there's no way I'm not shooting a 150-inch three-year-old. Like, it's just not going to happen at this point in my career. But, uh, you know, so, so you just adapt, and, and maybe it's the other way. 
you know, maybe if your if your goals are too high and you're saying I'm only going to shoot a 150, I'm only going to shoot a 150, you know, but uh, you haven't killed a whole bunch of deer and, you, and you're seeing consistent 120s, like, well, well, shoot what makes you happy, you know, and, and adapt because it's like habitat management and property management. It's a long haul. Nothing you do is going to affect tomorrow. You know, it's going to affect 10 years of tomorrows. You know what I mean? So it's it's a long haul and a lot of time and a lot of waiting to really see the results pay off. Uh, but that's what's fun about it. So you have to kind of take a step back and say, okay, I like to hunt. I like to kill, you know, kill deer. We all like to do that. And, and sometimes you have to do make those harvest choices as well. So that's the only thing I would add, you know, to our goals is we do change them. Um, we don't try to change them too frequently, but we do kind of adapt to the situation um, in year to year. Oh, very nice. Okay. Yeah. I like that. So, now, you, you were talking about kind of your trail cam usage. How many trail cams on this 200 acres are you guys putting out, and are you guys really taking the time to sit down and analyze the time stamps to see, okay, we have this many doe families are looking at different bucks growing throughout the year. I mean, how are you guys actually effectively using your trail cameras out there? Well, that's a great question. So I would say number one, um, to answer your question, I run anywhere from probably eight to 12 cameras at a time. Um, and that will probably grow, uh, in, in how many I'm running. Uh, just, just because of time, constraints you know sometimes i'm running one on a mineral and at the same time i want to start running a different one on an oak flat but i'm not quite ready to pull that one off that mineral lick so you know if i'm not going to be back in a couple of weeks or something like that i just don't have time traveling for work uh i want to be able to pull one out of the out of the uh the house there and get it up on that oak flat to see what's happening there too so probably uh anywhere from eight to twelve cameras at a time definitely no less than six um, and, and I would say this year we'll probably be running closer to 15 um, nice. at a time. A, a couple things there is, number one is no, <laughs> we used to not pay attention. It was just like throw the card in the camera, blow through the pictures, look for antlers. <laughs> yeah. Wait, that's not the right way to do it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong, honestly, but uh, that is, the only, <laughs> I mean, that was the only thing I did. And we were very blessed, quite honestly, to have some some darn good antlers to look at, you know. And, and then it was like, holy cow, how are we going to make this happen? And been fortunate a couple times to make it happen and fortunate to have some just – if I had a camera, man, some of the hunts I've got to, got to witness without harvesting, it's got to be the closest to the best thing you could have without harvesting a deer. I mean, just grunting and chasing, busting limbs off, I mean, big mature white tails, uh, just doing what they do. And it, it's been an awesome experience, but – Back to the trail cameras, you know, I was telling you before, you know, it was driving me nuts not understanding how many deer I had around. Because not only do, I mean, everybody wants to have big bucks around, right? But just getting my head wrapped around, like, how many deer are there on this 60 acres? And, and now, you know, even more so, um, it really started to confuse me when we started to really micro- manage 200 and some acres because then you really start kind of figuring out wait a second where are these deer at and why are they over here versus over here and um one of the tools was the cameras but you can't 
look at a camera that has all messed up timestamps and compare one food plot to the next and one day to the next if your timestamps are all jacked up, right? So what we started yeah. to do is, is um, you know, sometimes blow through the blow through the cards. Hey, I just want to see what deer were there. You know, I'm, I'm busy right now, whatever. Well, you make dinner and later you're sitting there um, just kind of killing time in the evening sitting by the fire. Like throw those cards back in. And you can, you know, pull them all the pictures off of one card, put them in a folder. Pull all the pictures off the next card, put them in a folder. Sort by date and time. And then go through and by the backdrop of the picture, you can tell what field or what camera it is, right? Um, if you're running different cameras, a lot of times will note Muddy or Bushnell or, you know, whatever camera you're running right in the bottom of the picture. Um, but then you can go and you go, okay, this stamp was at 831 and this stamp timestamp was 832 and you're going through the pictures again but now you can just make notes of like oh man at 831 there was four does in the pine plot and 832 there was three in stonehenge 833 there was a buck and a doe in, in double stamp plot well gosh when i first used to go through these cars i thought those were the same deer just going from one field to the next because i wasn't paying yeah. attention to the timestamps. um then talking to the neighbors, you know, not to backtrack on us, but talking to neighbors, and the neighbors are saying things like, well, uh, I've been getting pictures of 10, 12 does at a, at a time at, on some of my cameras. Thinking, my goodness gracious, you're getting 10, 12 does at a time. And uh, I'm thinking, well, I'm getting six to nine sometimes in one picture. And then I start looking at these other things, and I got two over here and three over here and four over here. And how many did I miss? Because I'm only running, like I said, six, eight, 12 cameras um, on 200 acres. You're not covering that much ground, you know. Um, that really started to kind of paint a picture to me of, wow, there, there is a lot more deer around here than, than kind of what I'm thinking there is, you know. Um, so and how many of the deer are walking right behind the camera, too, you know? Well, and that's a great point. And that's a point I've made um, to my cousin and I have paid very close attention to that is one of the things that we try um, to always keep in mind when we're hunting, obviously, is, you know, where's the buck going to come from, right? But the other thing is when you're hunting is not just, oh, yeah, I saw two deer today. Let's have a cup of coffee and where are we going to sit tonight? But, like, all right, where did the deer come from? How were they acting? Now, let me ask you this. You know, I'll ask my cousin, his name is Zach. I'll say, did they go in front of the camera? How long did they eat the grains for when they were in that field? Did you notice were they eating the grains? Or, Well, honestly, they were kind of, they kind of walked through. They were eating the pokeberry a little bit, and I don't even think we'd have a picture of that deer because it kind of skirted the camera. So I'm like, so you're telling me you saw six deer tonight, but three of them would have never made it on the camera? Yeah, that's true. Well, that's funny because I saw four tonight. Not one of them would have made it on the camera, but I could have killed any of them. You know, they were right by the stand. So making observations like that starts to paint the picture a little bit of like, I mean, trail cameras are great tools, but you have to just kind of observe all of those different things to really understand what's going on in your piece of property, you know, or at least paint a picture of what you think might be going on. No, I I really like that. I like how you put them in a folder and use the the um, sort function. Uh, not necessarily keeping them in their own folder for the location, but putting them all together and then using the sort function. I've never done that. That's a pretty good idea. Um, I yeah, like and I mean, there's different softwares and stuff you could use. I have not played with any of those. I, 
I like to kind of keep it simple, stupid. But I yeah. do. I will. I will say this: when I go through the pictures the first time, and I mark down pictures, um, I will mark down, or my cousin, I'll, I'll read the number to him, and I'll say, "All right, good buck, one thirty-two," and he'll write down on his phone or on a piece of paper, one thirty-two. All right, good buck, one sixty. So I save a picture of every deer um, that I think is a is a good buck, even if I have a, have had a couple pictures of them. If it's a cool picture, I'll save it. And every year I have a picture, you know, 2016 bucks, 2017 bucks, 2018 is going to have a folder of some giants. You know, so that's kind of the, the goal at least, right? Yeah, then, the same thing, yep. You know, what's interesting is, uh, so I found that deadhead I sent to you, right? Which uh, right before you called, I actually just got done putting a coat of bleach on that on that skull to hopefully bleach that deadhead that we found. But, yeah, that's what I uh, thought. That's too bad. Oh, total bummer. But that deer, I was able to find a trail camera picture of that deer, I would say, within three minutes of getting back onto my computer. Um, the buck my cousin killed, I knew the deer as soon as I walked up on him. I'm like, oh, that's at nine point. And I found a trail camera picture. We were back at the house for five minutes. I go, here he is. Here he is in velvet. Um, my neighbor sent me a picture of a deadhead they found like two years ago. And I'm still finding pictures of that deer just going through old cameras. I'm like, oh, that was him in velvet. That was him as a two-year-old, you know. So, I mean, those are the things that uh, are really, really neat about keeping good records. I mean, uh, obviously the observation part is is even better, uh, in my opinion, because it kind of does give you uh, data, right? It's not just the mob mentality of like, oh, no deer around. Like, I don't buy it. I see the trails. You know, I see the food plots. I see the exclusion fences. Um, there's deer around, but where are they, when, and why? And those are the things you got to have to put together, and trail cameras are a great tool to do that. And are you writing well, down? Well, it kind of tells the whole story. Exactly. It tells the whole story, which is cool. Yeah, exactly. kind of what I was just going to say, Jess. Um, when you're rereading these later on after the fact, and not necessarily your trail camera pictures, but the other data that you're recording, like you and your cousin talked about, where are you recording that? Are you writing that down in a notebook or? So it depends. Right now, it's kind of just um, more verbal, really, okay. than, than anything. Um, a lot of the stuff I do do on DeerHunterForum.com, I actually uh, I have an Ohio uh, thread on there that I've kind of kept going for a while. I was going through it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, some of this stuff is back from 2000. It would have went back further, but uh, QDMA had shut their, their old form down, so I had oh, to restart. Yeah. But I think still 2016 um, I've been doing this, and a, a lot of things I'll notice I've, I've recorded down there, like, oh, I'm going to go hunting this weekend, been seeing some good deer, and then it's like, oh, my cousin shot this buck or whatever, you know. So some of the things have been uh, been reported there, but most of the overall observations probably should get a little bit more um, strict on how I'm recording it, but it's more so just just – uh, word of mouth right now to to get us an idea of what's going on. Now, with that being said, Jared, you know, this year um, there was like, the, the way our farm lays out, it's pretty long. So there's one from, from at least along the road, if I drive from one end of the farm to the next, it's about 1.25 miles. So as the crow flies, it's probably a mile. Um, but it's just, it's a very long 200-some acres versus being more of, like, just a big square block. Okay. Um, and on that, I have had 
you know, on one end of the farm to the next. And I've had pictures of nine does in an eighth of an acre food plot. And I'm like, okay, that's a pretty good number of does, you know. <laughs> and then a very similar picture on the total other end of the farm, about a mile and a half away. And I have a very similar picture, plus other food plots having three to five at the same time. So it started to really um, get to the point where it just was redundant. It was like, yeah. all right, if we're going to shoot a couple deer, um, there's plenty around now. You know, we, we can harvest a couple does, um, you know, and it's not going to hurt anything. We're, we're in a good situation here. Um, and actually now it's to the point where I think we, we do what we're going to need to um, just based on some observations of, of how the food plots have gotten eaten. Okay. Um, speaking of food plots, I wanted to talk about some of your uh, different planting techniques. Um, I know you're in the foothills, like like where we've hunted down there. Pretty interesting terrain. It's not like there's a bunch of flat fields or open areas in the woods like we're dealing with. Um, and I remember something about you and your luckless soybeans that I could just never forget about. I don't know if it was a picture I saw or... That Stonehenge plot keeps coming to my mind. or Yeah. I want you yeah. to kind of dive into those for me. Um, I haven't had the guts to plant any beans yet, but I have a feeling once I do, I'm I'm going to love it. So uh, go ahead. Yeah. So like anything, like I told you, I'm, I'm analytical, right? So I got so gosh darn tired of guys telling me that I'm you never can plant beans unless you own 7,000 acres and you have a $7,000 <laughs> grain drill, you know? Like, I got so tired of hearing that because I'm like, that just can't be. Like, I understand the deer eat them, you know, and, and I'm sure there's some areas, like, I know, what is, I, what is it, Buffalo County, Wisconsin, I read stuff, guys are like, we see 400 deer at a time in some of the big ag fields. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. that's, that's ridiculous. But, uh, but you know, where I'm at, I'm like, I think the deer numbers are healthy. When I first started planting beans, quite honestly, the reason I did it is I wanted to. I said, you know what? I hope I'm proved. I'm ho- I hope I'm proved wrong. I hope these beans get eaten as soon as they grow a half inch. But I'm going to try an acre. And I think I did like an acre or an acre and a half of them, and uh, I had great success. And, and honestly, the only thing I can tell you is I did soil tests year in and year out. I have pretty basic equipment. Um, you know, I got a tiller. I know shouldn't be tilling ground. That's like the new craze, which I get it. I understand right. the whole right. process. Um, not eventually, I'd love to have a drill. Um, probably won't happen in the near future, but I'll touch on that in a minute as well. But uh, basically, all, all it was was taking soil samples. You know, being consistent, um, trying to plant plant it with a good rain. Um, Jared, I, I've done it both ways. I've tilled the ground up to where, um, you know, not like a real fine powder, but actually to where it's um, more of like bigger chunks of dirt, you know, and then spread the beans and then just packed it really well. I think with beans, you're, you're it's more important to really pack it down than having to worry about this like super fine um seed bed like you see you know sometimes with like brassicas or something like that where it's like later in the summer you're planting a lot of times beans you're planting the ground's like wet still you know or damp because it's in may or june um early june depending on when you're planting them so what i found is like your soil probably is not going to look as pretty as when you plant brassicas in august and the ground's drier than heck and it just packs down you know like a magazine picture 
Um, so what I found is you till it, you know, and of course you're using, I mean, I shouldn't say of course, I would not plant beans um, unless one of these companies wants to sponsor me, but I don't want to plant <laughs> beans unless it's a Roundup Ready product. Okay. Um, I, I just don't see myself going through the time of spraying grass select herbicides, broadleaf herbicides, um, and, and some of those you can't even use within beans, quite honestly, because the broadleaf would probably kill a bean. So it's just difficult. I would just stick to um, Roundup Ready beans. Now, you're going to pay a little bit more for those, um, and there's a whole bunch of different variations. You know, you have uh, Eagle soybeans, seed, I've used those. I've used regular ag beans. I tried real-world beans, quite honestly, out of all of them. I think they all did pretty well. I, th- I, I did like um, the eagle beans grew real high. I thought the real world held their pods um, and created some good pods. And I thought the regular ag beans made a ton of pods and, and seemed to hold them pretty long as well. So I, I, I got them all. Yeah. Will you uh, kind of touch on – the Roundup Ready, what that means for our listeners? Yeah, that know yeah. Know. Absolutely, good point. So uh, basically all Roundup Ready means is uh, it is a genetically modified plant that is able to take glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, um, and it is able to, you're able to spray a given crop, so whether it be Roundup Ready corn, Roundup Ready uh, beans, I think there's even Roundup Ready alfalfa, uh, but you can go through and spray that given crop, um, and it will kill all of the competition, but it will not kill that given uh, crop because it's been uh, genetically modified not to be affected by that uh, weed killer. Um, so what that allows you to do is, like, with my every time I planted beans, um, I've tilled the ground, I've broadcasted by hand. I've also had great luck with Roundup Ready corn. I did that one year, too, and, I mean, it was just... I didn't plant enough acreage of it because I had some wind damage and stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, I had seven-foot-tall corn stalks with, with big cobs on them. Wow. And it was fantastic. And uh, same technique. Tilled the ground, broadcasted by hand. I packed the heck out of it. I got a little cold to pack on the back of the four-wheeler. Uh, packed the heck out of it with that. Prayed for rain. Um Corn is a little bit more finicky when you're talking about spraying. Um, I think I actually sprayed my corn plots with a backpack sprayer, if I remember correctly. But with the beans, beans are pretty tough. You know, I mean, I go in two to three weeks, depending on my schedule, um, after after planting. Um, typically, by that time, the beans are all popped up out of the ground, and so are some of your competition of, uh, of grasses. And you simply go in there, and if you have a backpack sprayer, you mix them um, glyphosate per the label, you know, figure that out, uh, but mix it in there and, and walk through, and, and you can just just make sure you cover all the areas because you're not going to kill those those soybeans with that glyphosate or Roundup, whatever you choose to use, um, but it is going to kill all that competition. And that's like fertilizer. I mean, they're not nothing sucking nutrients out of the ground, and all those the nutrients that are there, it's only there for the beans now because you killed their competition. And they'll just shoot up out of the ground after that. I mean, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Now, do you have any sort of issue with the corn um, competing with the beans, or vice versa, or in any of your other plots, any competition issues? So, with the corn, um, I actually did the corn a separate year. So, what had happened is I had done 
beans like two years in a row. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do corn this year. Um, and I just, I just did a monoculture of corn. Um, corn is difficult because of just like the way it grows. I don't know how, I've seen where guys mix in like a corn into a soybean. And honestly, you'll actually get it by accident when you buy Roundup. Like a year later, you'll have a corn stalk pop up on a somewhere. But uh, you, you, you can't really like overseed into corn um, if you broadcast it. What I can tell you the trick to corn is if you're going to do broadcasting, um, follow the seed rates. Do not think more is better. And I know that's kind of like overly said by anybody who's planted food plots. Oh, don't think more is better because um, a lot of people make that mistake. And I know broadcasting, they say, well, if you're going to broadcast, do a little bit more. I probably did maybe like 10% more than recommended um, per the amount of acreage I was I was planting um, of the corn, and it did phenomenal. I mean, it, re- it really did phenomenal. My buddy who's who I was talking about in the beginning of the podcast, who, who grew up uh, grew up doing a lot of farming, he was like, "Holy cow!" He's like, "Your corn looks better than some farmers I know." Um, so that is a tip I would give you: is just make sure you, if you buy an acre worth of seed, plan on doing an acre. I wouldn't put a whole, he- you know, or split it up. I would not put an acre worth on a half acre. Okay. Um, in 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 other areas, in, in beans, I think you can get away with a little bit heavier on beans. I think they could handle. A little bit tighter stem. I mean, for food plot reasons, for reasoning, I would not um, suggest that for, say, uh, you know, for agricultural usage. Probably your yield would be, uh, you know, dog crap if you you try to do that. But I'm saying for just agri, you know, just just for deer purposes, um, I think they can just handle growth wise if the nutrients are in the soil uh, a little bit tighter. Uh, you know, stem ratio. I don't know if that's the right term, but. Uh, it seems that way at least, but I still don't go crazy with that. I maybe because I'm broadcasting, you figure turkeys, birds will get a few, like 10% higher than, than recommended at most. I'm, I'm just not going to go over. Uh, and the reason being, I mean, going right into your other question is I enjoy, you know, what, what happens to soybeans is you're watching deer all summer long and you're just itching to hunt and it's like August. You're seeing these big deer in velvet, and you're like, "Oh man, I got them patterned like nobody's business," you know. <laughs> and the deer, and the, the soybeans yellow, and that deer's three and a half hours away. You know, he took yep. a vacation till till winter. So um, I actually don't mind having my beans a little bit thinner. Um, and again, I'm, I'm my cousin would probably be cracking up if he heard me say that because he's like, "Dude, your soybean plots look better than your yard," but. Um, but honestly like if you're a little bit thinner i'm going to top dress that field there's just no doubt about it i'm going to fill a a bag seeder um come august with some oats um some rye grain some uh, winter wheat maybe um maybe one maybe all three you know depending on what i can get where i can get if the co-op has some stuff or if i got a tractor supply coupon i can buy uh you know their pike pot what is it pot spike oats they have there are always uh I mean, I've always had decent success with them. Deer seem to eat them. They grow anywhere. Um, and then, you know, a bag of bra- uh, a bag of brassicas, whether it be radishes or just raw, uh, purple top turnips or, or some 
Ford's Brassicas. I'm going to top dress that field. I can assure you of that. Um, whether it be beans, I mean, like I said, corn is difficult because as soon as you break the stem, you're kind of out of luck. That you know, so you can't really walk through it once it's broadcast. Uh, if it was planted in rows, you'd probably be able to get away with that, but can't really do it when you broadcast. At least I haven't figured out a way to. Um, but with beans, I'm going to do that. And, and the, what you're going to end up getting is all these beans that lose their leaves. You're going to have this green carpet coming up underneath. Now, your turnips and stuff are not going to grow to be huge, but you're going to get a pretty good tap root that's going to go down and you know mine some nutrients out of the soil, and you're probably going to get a little bit of a bulb to form, which is going to feed deer all winter. Um, you're going to keep a root growing. You know, the big thing you hear now is have a root growing 365. Well, it's hard to do that if you don't have a drill, um, but you sure as heck can try with, with some of these no-till till methods. I mean, I, I still try to limit my tillage um, with some of these things, and I'll even do that with clover plots. Uh, a lot of guys, if they plant clover for the first time, I'm actually thinking about it myself this year because I'm going to be putting in some clover um, alfalfa mixes and things like that. This uh, this coming year, and I'm debating, well, do I want to plant those this spring, or am I going to go and plant them this fall? And when I plant them, plant them with win- uh, with winter rye or just rye grain or um, or oats too. And typically, what happens there is it's just like using a cover crop, yeah, right? And you don't really exactly, have to worry yeah. about that that rotation. And if you plant them with a an annual like a uh, Purple top turn up, you know, that first year they grow in, and then next year it all kind of fills in. So I, I, I don't worry about competition too, too much. Um, where I would worry about competition is is overseeding, um, you know, using too much brassicas. That is something guys really will fail at because of using too much. You put too many purple top turnips together, they'll start off and they'll be really green and lush, and you'll think, yeah, you hit pay dirt, you know, and then all of a sudden what ends up happening is they turn, like, lighter green and then kind of yellow, and it looks like they're needing nitrogen. You'll start reading forms. You guys say, oh, they need nitrogen, and the reason that is because there's just too many plants close together. Okay. There's not enough nutrients in the soil to support it. They basically choke themselves out. So the biggest thing I can emphasize is because I made the mistake is don't over – you hear the term overseed – that's not meant by using too much seed. That's meant by taking a seed and throwing it over top of a plot that's already established to create something else to grow, especially if it's like a monoculture like beans. Monoculture and deer, um, deer love soybeans, but I, I just think that it's for food plot purposes, especially you're probably under three acres in most guys' situations. Monocultures just aren't that great in my opinion. So use overseeding that way, not using too much seed. Well, and I've, I've seen, uh, I forgot what article I was reading online, but there's a lot of guys out now who are planting micro corn plots within their soybean fields, which seemed interesting to me. That is interesting. So explain that a little bit to me. What are they, how are they doing? You know, I don't know if it was on Michigan Whitetail or what form it was on. Um course i was looking looking at my phone at work when i shouldn't have been but (laughs) so let's let's say they got a three acre soybean plot they would break up you know maybe eight acre chunks and plant those eight acre chunks with corn so you'd almost have a corn maze within your soybeans and i think they were doing it a lot for cover 
estimating, you know, so the deer felt protected in that soybean field. Yeah, I mean, well, that, I that makes sense to that me. That's why I want to plant it. It does make a lot of sense. And also, um, it depends, too, like on the type of bean that you're planting. Like there's a mossy oak has one, and I think I think Eagle Mix or Eagle Bean has a, a brand called Manager's Mix, and basically it has like three different types of beans. And this one's like a large lad soybean, which kind of how it sounds makes a huge leaf. Um, and then they also have like a viney soybean, um, and what that does is it kind of wants to grow and crawl and kind of grow all through things and, and make a mess. And what a lot of those things like to do is uh, they like to be able to climb up something to grow. So sometimes guys will want to do, um, they'll throw a, a small percentage of corn in with the mix of soybeans if, it, if they're growing that type of soybean. Um, okay. So it has, some, like, it has some structure to grow on. Now, if they're doing strips like that, um, I could see where that would work. The only thing I can tell you is corn. It could be from broadcasting. The root system just doesn't get quite as stable as if you were to drill it. But I can tell you, my corn, I mean, it looked really healthy. It was full of cobs. Um, but if you get high winds or you get a, a hungry raccoon that's climbing up stalks, you're going to have corn get knocked down, you know. And then by the time you have deer starting to work through it and things like that. So I would say in order to get those strips to be successful, um, you'd probably want to have – a a decent width um, or a decent acreage to, to do it in, you know, in order for yeah. it to, to, to have them feel comfortable. Because I think, yes, it would break up the plot initially um, with people I've read a lot about guys saying deer don't like to see each other, make the plot the shape of an L or something, you know, so they can't see each other. There's probably truth to that. Um, and if you're trying to do that with some things like corn um, or even some of the screens that are out, just make sure it's something that you think is going to last all year, or at least to where your your goals are to harvest a deer. If you only can hunt till October, well, maybe it'll be just fine. Um, but most likely, you know, that corn is going to come down at some point, um, you know, due, due to weather or animals, especially if it's a small amount. In my How are experience. You? No, that, that makes total sense. Um, now, Al, are you harvesting your soybeans at all, or are you leaving them up all season and just tilling them back under in the spring? Yeah, so um, we do not harvest uh, anything. We just leave it, um, and we do do just uh, till it back under in, in the springtime. Um, the interesting thing is uh, there's never really any left. I mean, the deer just pick through it and pick through it and pick through it, um, which is is interesting, I mean, to watch, uh, just like our, our brassica plots this year, you know, same, sim, similar thing. You know, I kind of was looking forward to having a whole bunch of bulbs left, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to till those right into the soil, man. It's going to be awesome for, for next whatever next crop I decide to put in there. And um, there there wasn't a bulb left. I mean, I was just, like, blown away how, how the deer ate them. But uh, similarly, the beans, I mean, all that's normally left is just a, a little stalk um, but we do, we till it right under and, and plant the next thing. Now, we're going to take a little break from beans for the next couple of years. Um, beans are not cheap to plant. Uh, I might do a couple smaller spots with some beans on the new farm just to see how they do, depending on how my soil samples come back here. I should get them in the next couple of days. Um, but, but really, this year, I'm going to go back to build up some organic matter and limit some uh, tilling that I've done on some fields over the last 
five or six years in a row, I'm going to go to uh, go back to a Cobra alfalfa um, mix, and I'll I'll top dress those fields and and some um, brassica mixes as well uh, come fall time. Okay, well, very that, good. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Um, when you top dress that clover, are you going to have to replant the next year, or will the clover just come back as a as a perennial, and are you just going to frost seed more clover, or what's your plan there? Yeah, that's pretty much the plan. Okay. I mean, I will probably frost seed clover and chicory. I love chicory. I think it should be in every clover mix. Um, I think the deer like it a lot. Uh, I did not have a lot of experience with it. I have a few years under my belt, and I will not plant a clover pot without chicory. So those are those are definitely things I like to frost seed. Um, and honestly, you know, one of the things I know we had mentioned a little bit was like herbicides. You know, obviously there's things like Arrest out there that are grass-select herbicides. I think um, the generic name is it Clethodome um, mm-hmm. is the generic name or – um, and then you have broadleaf stuff, you know, uh, 24D um, or Buterac and, and things like that. Um, with, with my clover pot spirit, I try to keep it simple because they can be a nightmare. Um, I mow and mow and mow to li- eliminate broadleaf. Um, you typically do have to spray some grasses. But uh, for replanting them, I will top dress them uh, or frost seed them. In, in the springtime, probably around March, uh, and then kind of evaluate to see where they're at. I will do a soil sample, um, maybe maybe put on some, you know, typically clover doesn't need nitrogen. Should it, it should be fixing its own nitrogen. It is a legume. Um, but I will put on some maybe 624-24 um, at some point throughout there and just kind of let the clover do its thing. You know, let it grow, mow it a few times, um, and, and really try to eliminate uh, eliminate broadleaf competition by mowing, uh, and then and then if I if I do need to spray, it's typically uh, just the grass select herbicides. At least that's that's my goal. Um, always always with clover. Okay, and are you when you're spraying the grass select herbicides? Are you killing your rye that you overseeded with from the year before? So, yes, you you absolutely would. Now, um, the rye, typically when you mow it, um, it it's going to kill it anyway. That's what I was just going to ask next. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so the, the rye just goes through that stage, I, I think, it's, um, right before it starts to kind of create the head um, of the rye. And that's typically when they start, like if you watch Dr. Grant Woods and those guys, when they'll actually start to use the, the steel buffalo, I forget what they call that thing, but it's, uh, the roller crimper. Oh, and yeah, it'll actually yeah. roll over the rye, and it breaks the stem in a few places, um, and it just starts to deteriorate. I mean, into the ground, and adds good organic matter into the into the soil. Um, so essentially, that's what you're doing, except doing it with a bush hog, because I don't I don't have a roller crimper or a big big drill um, at this time. Uh, but but I mean, my goal just to you know, like I said earlier, you know, habitat management. It's kind of like you got to think about now, but you also got to think about the future. So my goal is to put in these clover, alfalfa, chicory plots, um, kind of throw the kitchen sink at them. I mean, I might run a, a strip of the tiller down the center of the plot to, to get a really good stand of brassicas through the center um, and then just kind of throw the brassica seed over the rest of the plot and see see what comes up. I've done that in the past with decent success. 
but the goal is to just let the organic matter build up over the next couple of years. And I'll probably go back to, to a soybean or, or, or corn will probably be next because all of that nitrogen will be fixed in the soil. Um, so I'll probably, or, or a huge field of like brassicas. So I think that's important to note because when you're planting these things, you want to have, you don't have to be a biologist, but you want to have some idea of like what adds what to the soil or what takes things out. And after years of clover, what is a good crop to follow, you know? Um, and I think that's kind of good to think, well, okay, this is a three-acre field. I've had clover in here for a couple of years. That's a big enough field to do a thing of corn probably. Or, you know, I'd love to have a three-acre field of purple-top turnips because they're going to love that nitrogen that's in there. Just to think ahead, um, I find that to be important, you know, for, for planning for future food plots. Okay. I uh, actually like that point. Let's let's make that one of our, our final points here. Um what are your goals on your property over the next, maybe let's make a five-year plan. And, uh, you know, how does one like myself or Jesse or some other dude plant, or I'm sorry, make his goals for what he wants to plant or, or have his property produce in terms of habitat and wildlife? How do, how do we all go about that? It's a really good question, and, and I'm, I'm just like an average Joe, man. Who loves to, loves to deer hunt and, and talk about it and and stuff, but uh, and loves this habitat management, this game and learning. So I don't know if I should be giving advice to other folks. But, <laughs> too uh, late, too <laughs> late. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's true. But uh, you know, you know, really, my goals over the next few years is one of my biggest points I wanted to talk about, and we we hit on so much. Um, but one of the things that I, that I really Wanted, wanted to talk about is just the importance of knowing your neighborhood. And, you know, for me, Jared, there were so many times where where we were just sitting and hunting, going, where in the hell are the deer at? You know, we bought this additional land, and I started walking down through some of these, these bottom thickets. And, you know, I bet you I found an area of five or 600 apple trees. I mean, mature apple trees, um, butted up next to an oak ridge full of white oaks and, and persimmons and, and all of these things. And it kind of hit me when I found these deer trails that, that looked like I-77, you know. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, holy cow, this is where these deer are. So, like, my one thing is, like, do not get discouraged because it's so easy to get discouraged when you see guys. Uh, I mean, I love the juries. If, if they're listening to this and they want to come meet me, I'd love to meet them. I, I've watched those guys forever. But, uh, you know, all joking aside, but, I mean, we, we all watch those shows, right? And you get discouraged. I mean, it's like, holy cow, this guy puts in a half-acre food plot and he sees 300 deer uh, every night he sits, you know, and half of them are 150-inch deer. So my one point would say don't dis- get discouraged. For me personally, you know, I want to get, uh, I want to continue to get my cousin on deer. I, I hope for myself. I mean, I'm really holding out. I've passed some, some really good bucks over the years. So to say uh, I want to shoot, you know, um, over the next five years, I, I definitely want to shoot at least one or two bucks that I consider to be um, of the caliber I, I'd like to kill. You know, I, I think that's 140s or better. I'm not saying I wouldn't shoot something a little bit smaller, but, uh, you know, that's really kind of what I've been holding out for is mature deer. And, and, and honestly, just to continue to learn, you know, my property. Because there's nothing I get more joy out of it. I'll give you a quick story and and uh, to kind of help wrap up. But, you know, the last two deer my cousin killed, um, and he's been, I mean, 
trooper, working his tail off to kill these deer. But both of them I had been hunt, uh, seeing on camera pretty consistently. And the one year I looked at him, I said, you want to kill that deer? He's like, yeah, I'd be tickled to kill that deer. I'm like, all right, you hunt that stand tomorrow. And he shot that deer by 8.30 in the morning. Wow. Um, and this year uh, there had been that buck. We had seen him, oh, gosh, I don't know how many trail camera pictures I had of that buck. But uh, very similar. He's like kind of we're talking, you know, and then it's the day before gun season. And we're like, oh, should we even bow hunt? Should we just kind of get stuff ready? And, and we're, I'm like, no, you know, and then he's like, no, let's bow hunt. I'm like, yeah, let's. Let's do it. So we left and uh, got down and got into the stands and, uh, or got our stuff ready and getting ready to decide what stands to go to. And uh, I, I kind of said, you want to kill that deer, don't you, you know, again? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I said, you hunt that stand. I said, I'm not even that crazy to kill that deer. And by 5 o'clock that night, he texted me and said, uh, I just shot that nine point. You wow. know, so that's kind of my goal is to be able to continue uh, and I mean, there's a lot of luck that played into that. I mean, really, it, it was, and we hunted hard and, and stuff, but it just seemed like it happened two years in a row. It was kind of funny. Um, but we knew the deer was around, and, and we knew they had consistently been showing up in daylight. Um, and for me to be able to put somebody on a deer and, and really know my land, um, you know, better than anybody, that, that's one of my goals, you know, going forward um, and, and just continuing to, to understand these deer. You know, and, and, and to do that, you know, I just reiterate, you, you got to understand your neighborhood. Because if you don't realize the guy two doors down feeding a thousand corn, thousand pounds of corn every week, and you're over here sitting over half acre clover field, and you're going, where are the deer at? Well, if it's legal, he's allowed to feed corn, that's fine. But you just got to figure out something else to draw those deer to your property. Right. Because I can tell you, it's going to be a hard thing to do to draw them off a thousand pounds of corn. Um, and that happens here in, in Ohio quite a bit. And you have to figure out, like, okay, how am I going to compete and what do I need to do? Um, and sometimes it's natural things, like I said. You know, 600 tree apple orchard, I didn't even know existed. I couldn't see it on aerial photos, but uh, it was there, you know, until we bought that land and I really walked it. I didn't realize, oh, here's where those deer hold up. So learning your neighborhood and, and setting achievable goals, I think that's really, really, really important. And and just being realistic. I mean, that's the last thing I, I'll leave you with. Yeah, is, achievable was the key word there that you said, you know? You, it has yeah, to be. 100%. You know, and right now, how many times do you guys see on Facebook? You see, like, uh, what, what, should I pro, what should I feed my deer throughout the year? What kind of protein supplemental feeding program? Now, I'm not going to say a supplemental feeding program doesn't work. But that's like if I, if, if I drink a protein shake once a month, is it going to have much effect on, like, you know, muscle growth and stuff? Probably not. Right. You know, so it's like anything. It's like if you throw out a bag of protein feed for the deer once every two weeks or three weeks or four weeks that you're at your property, like, like be realistic. You're not – there's no magic bullet to this, you know, and I think that's one of the things, and I've got caught up with it myself. You see an attractant or, oh, man, look, this is a high-protein content. Let's throw it out to the deer. Well, that's cool for attracting whitetails you know and maybe that'll work and if it's legal in your state you know by gosh do it but don't get caught up in thinking all of a sudden i'm going to grow a, a booming young uh deer because i threw out some antler grower extreme or whatever it might be you know i mean you just have to be realistic in those things 
and uh, that's going to it's going to make your hunting and habitat management a heck of a lot more fun. Yeah, very 100%. well said. Very well said. I uh, I think it's a good place to to maybe wrap this up. I wanted to ask you, Jeff, um, what's your goal this year? Kind of put you on the oh, spot. My, yeah, my goal this year. Well, uh, hunting wise, you know, um, since I've been filming quite a bit, and I got this nickname, B-roll Burnham. <laughs> I, uh, I shoot. A, I shoot a lot of B-roll. Al, I uh, finally got my first uh, white-tailed deer on film this year. Uh, shot a nice doe. But I'd like to. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, Want to shoot a nice mature buck on film. Um, I've had quite a few opportunities probably the past three years on mature white heel. Just couldn't put the story together. So definitely want to get a nice, you know, three and a half, four year old white tail on the ground. And um, I'm kind of interested in doing a little ground stalking. Um, I know here in Michigan where we hunt. The habitat's really not set up for it, but i just kind of been doing some research and talking to some guys, and I think it'd be pretty rad to uh, stalk a deer on the ground. Um, whether it'll happen or not, I'm not sure. Um, but as far as habitat goes, uh, definitely want to do some, get into some hinge cutting up north and uh, get some plots going up there, but definitely want to get some hinge cutting and uh, start start producing some more Habitat for bedding areas and browse lines. Oh, very uh, nice. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. But yeah, you know, Al, you made a good point. I think the key is whether it's habitat or hunting in general, it's setting realistic goals. Because, like you said, you can scroll through Facebook and see all these guys shooting these booner bucks, and it starts messing with your mind, and you're thinking, man, I'm just not seeing them. But, you know, my my goal, I mean, what I've set for myself is, you know, I'm going to shoot a bigger buck every year, or every time I see a buck. So my last buck was a nice seven point, and I'm not going to shoot anything smaller than that right now. So, it's you know, you got to set realistic goals. Absolutely. And, and honestly, I mean, I know we're wrapping up. I honestly, I can talk about this stuff forever, so hopefully you can just oh, edit some out if you good. don't want it. No, but, you're good. But, we got uh, all the time in the world. You're good. That That is some of the things that I would say is, is also, you can carry that through all of your habitat as well. You know, if you do a half-acre hinge cut, I, I don't personally do a lot of hinge cutting right now because we have 500 acres of clear cut, counting some of which is on my own farm. I mean, 30-acre south-facing slopes that are just, you know, multi-floor rows and thick brush. There's not a whole sense of me hinge cutting unless I'm trying to add more natural brows. And quite honestly, right now, there's probably enough natural brows for the next couple of years before I'll need to really consider that or, or have another part, um, some PSI done, or actually a select cut done on the farm that will open up the canopy and start that over again. But you, you need to make realistic goals. If you're doing a half-acre hinge cut, don't think that every deer in three-quarters of a mile is going to bed in that little half-acre hinge cut. If you have two or three, four deer bed there, that's probably, you know, a, a, a good um, success. Now, there's some guys who might have better success depending on deer densities and things like that. But I'm just saying, set the goals for where you're at. You know, one of the things you see all the time on some of these forums and, and stuff is, hey, what should I plot? What should I plant in my plot? And that's all. That's all the question there is. 
And it's like, well, what's the goal? Is it to grow what? Is it to grow whitetails? Is it to hunt over? Is it to grow soil? You know, um, organic matter in the soil. I mean, you you just have to figure out what is the goal of what you're trying to do, and then figure out how to accomplish it. You know, but if it's just to attract whitetails, well, there's probably nothing better than soybeans in my area. Soybeans and brassicas. Um, you know, if you want to add nutrition for the whitetails, I think clovers, alfalfa, and soybeans again are pretty good. You know, and it depends a lot on how many acres you have, but you have to have all of those pieces of the puzzle and 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 really set yep. your goals accordingly. And use things like the cameras, like we talked about, in exclusion fences. Um, you know, that's a big one to be able to see how how are the deer reacting to this plot. And man, this clover in the fence is the same height as the clover outside the fence. It doesn't look like they're eating it at all. Well, give it another year, and if they're still not, maybe it's not the best. Clover's probably not a good example because it's going to get eaten. But, you know, maybe you tried something off the wall and it doesn't work. Well, all right, maybe you try something different and you adapt. But using the tools you have and set the realistic goals, don't look for the magic bullet. I think that's really the key to not just hunting but all of these habitat-related um, items, you know, that we kind of discussed in the last hour and, and ten minutes or so. Well, I tell you what, I would not want to hinge cut trees in the hills of Ohio because that would be dangerous as shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I can dude. tell you, we, <laughs> we cut a lot of firewood, and there's definitely been a couple near the house that I'm like, oh, boy, we're going to use a couple extra wedges on this one and hope that it falls the right way because this is a little scary. So I, I hear dude, that, I, that. I've had problems coming down the ridge just walking back to my trucks. It's so steep. I mean, I've, I've definitely fallen on my butt a few times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why uh, the people who are born and raised call us flatlanders. One of my best buddies is from uh, from Waverly, and they, they would call us all flatlanders. So I guess that name uh, serves serves us well in some ways. Yeah, yeah good old Waverly. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, well, Al, we uh, appreciate you having coming on with us and chit chatting. It was a, it was definitely a pleasure having you on here. And uh, you know, we've been chit chatting over Facebook and uh, text and everything, but I'm glad we finally got to do this. Oh, absolutely, guys. I mean, I appreciate you having me on. And hopefully, you found uh, some of the things I, I had to had to share, you know, interesting. Um, I mean, there's just I, I could talk about this stuff for hours. Different thoughts I have on it, and um, I, I just I just love it. I really do. And as most of your guests on here, I think I think there's a lot of guys out there like me, and there's a lot who know a hell of a lot more. Um, but I'm definitely passionate about it. You know, I'm, I'm happy to chat anytime. You know, I, I want to keep uh, keep going on my blog and, and uh, on Deer Hunter Forum. I'll keep updates there, um, and obviously we'll, we'll stay hooked on uh, Facebook and. and you know, keep in touch over the next couple of months for sure. And deep season right around the corner. I was shooting my bow today. Yeah, how how can guys find you on your blog? What's your username if guys want to follow what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, Buck Hunter Ten, and uh, the name of my my blog or thread is uh, Ohio Farm Tours. And uh, I just kind of update things that you know about uh, what I'm doing on the farm and what the plan is, and uh, you know, different bucks and, and what they look like and, and uh, you know, all, all sorts of habitat-related stuff, a little bit of personal stuff occasionally, um, you know, as to what's going on. But that, that's really kind of what it's about. It's, it's been a really enjoyable 
to kind of look back over over that, and uh, it's been it's been pretty pretty successful. I think it's got like twenty five thousand views on there, and and uh, it's like twenty seven pages long. So um, it's been really enjoyable to kind of keep up with it, and uh, I'm excited to keep going with it. Yeah, awesome. We'll uh, make sure you send us the link, and we'll share it on our Facebook and page for you. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, awesome, awesome. I will. And for everybody who doesn't know, that is uh, it's called Deer Hunter Forum. I believe if you just hit that dot com or Google that, you'll be able to find that website. So, yeah, awesome, yeah. Al. Well, thanks again. That was an awesome podcast. I mean, I can't wait to re-listen to it and actually, you know, take some notes and pay more attention than I did this time. This is going to be awesome. So, thanks again. Really appreciate your time. Uh, do you have anything else you want to hit before we hang up? No, I, I don't think so, guys. I just want to say thanks, and, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I love talking about this stuff, so if you ever have questions or just want to BS or share a picture of a deer with me, um, I'll probably do the same right on back. So, uh, you know, anytime you have questions you just want to talk, let's, let's talk some deer, and uh, have a great rest of your week, and thanks a lot for having me on. All right, thanks, Al. Yeah. All right, Thank bye-bye. Thank you, Al. We'll talk again. Well, we got another podcast in the books, guys. Uh, man, I thought Al was a super informative guest. Uh, what would you think, Jared? Yeah, I mean, like I said in the podcast, I love re-listening to these, you know, the next day or or whatever when I'm in my car driving. I just, it's amazing so many things that you pick up on again and again and I mean, for instance, that, that clover plot he's planning on trying for the next three years. I've already got my gears turning. I mean, I just I love this stuff, and you can tell the guy's passionate about it. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, I'm uh, I'm kind of itching to plant some soybeans now. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, I, I love listening to guys like him from different areas of the country that, you know, a lot of us Michigan guys go to. Um, I know it's pretty easy to get down to southern Ohio these days. and So it's pretty cool to see what they're doing compared to, you know, guys like Mel or Brian are doing or what we're doing. Um, so it's definitely cool. I would have to agree, buddy. I uh, just want to thank everybody for listening once again. Uh, we're trying to keep this with a bunch of good information. If you have any feedback, please let us know. Um, any topic suggestions even uh, we're on Facebook at Habitat Podcast reminder of that pretty regularly you can listen to all of our episodes on our website at HabitatPodcast.com and if you know how to use the Apple Podcast app or the Stitcher radio app you can find us on both of those as well uh, like I said, please be sure to leave us a review, subscribe, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. So, anything else from you, JB? No, man, I'm going to hit the hay and uh, get ready to end the week, and we'll talk soon, buddy. All right, guy. Sign off. We'll see you later. See ya. See ya.